Rainmaker FM. Greetings and welcome back to part two of this special edition of the show, we traditionally call Writer Porn. I am your host, Kelton Reed, and I've invited back my old friend, award-winning international journalist, author, pundit, and bad penny, Adam Skolnick, to discuss with me a piece I wrote recently for Copyblogger titled Five Things Only Serious Writers Do. I wanted to add a quick note here just to say that there are never enough words to thank all of you who reached out last week your sweet thoughts, virtual hugs, and notes of encouragement following the sadder half of this show. So on to the matter at hand. As writers, we all have our varied neuroses, methods of madness, well-worn manuals, muses, writer porn, and incantations that we feel grant us the strength to face that blank page. But there are five fundamental things that set serious writers apart from the crowd, and Adam and I are going to discuss those. You can follow along at copyblogger.com slash serious hyphen writers if you're interested. Adam Skolnick's narrative nonfiction book, One Breath, Free Diving Death and the Quest to Shatter Human Limits, based on his award-winning New York Times sports reporting, is available in paperback. In addition to his recent journalism, Adam has visited 45 countries and contributed to over 30 Lonely Planet guidebooks. He has written for ESPN.com, Men's Health, Outside, BBC, Playboy, The New York Times, and has appeared on NPR. In part two of this file, Adam and I discussed how all serious writers share a connective tissue, why work ethic outlasts talent every time, the fallacy of motivation versus the power of habit and small incremental steps, why sitting down and getting started is often the hardest thing for writers, what to write when you don't know what to say, on shitty first drafts as grist for the mill, the unglamorous origins of the sentence, and why deadlines are the pressure that make a diamond. And if you missed the first half of this show, you can find it in the archives on Apple Podcasts or wherever you tune in, and in the show notes. Stay tuned. The Writer Files is brought to you by my friends at copyblogger.com. Words that work. Build your online authority with powerfully effective content marketing. Get superior content marketing education so you can build a remarkable online presence. Authors, bloggers, journalists, online publishers, and entrepreneurs, head over to copyblogger.com to learn more. That's copyblogger.com. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published and leave us a rating or a review over on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. Do you want to talk about uh, serious writers? Let's talk about serious You're writers. kind of a serious writer. You're kind of a big deal. Am I overly serious? Because I, like, <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like I try to keep it light, but yeah, I know. It's weird. I think I'm funnier than my work. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have to find... We have to find humor in our idiosyncrasies and our neuroticism. Yes. Yes. Let's do it. Man. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, five things only serious writers do. That's the title of this episode, even though we've veered into some tragedy and some, some hopeful, more hopeful stories. Let's talk about this, uh, the, these things. And uh, I wrote a piece over on copy blogger titled five things only serious writers do and kind of cold from, of course, some of these interviews 
uh, from the podcast here and some other sources. So I thought it'd be kind of great to get Adam on here to uh, delve into these with me. This podcast series has dug into the habits, habitats, and brains of some great writers and, and some very prolific and successful writers. So uh, let's talk about what serious writers uh, you do. Know, you could even plug Take Serious out and put in Working. You sure, know, um, sure. Only working writers, you know what I mean? Like it, because you can be a, a gifted writer and not a, be a hobbyist necessarily, but have it be your kind of secondary strand of income. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you're writing and that's your primary source of income, then I think, especially then, especially this first two on your list, yeah, uh, are vital. Yeah. Well, let's dig into it. I mean, when I say serious writer, I mean, anybody who's kind of dedicated to the art. But yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think you could change it out for any pro writer, anybody who's yeah. uh, committed to actually, whether it be making a side hustle or making a living doing it. Um, I think we all kind of share a connective tissue is, is kind of the point I was getting at. But I think if these first two are pretty pretty straight up. Um, but you know, there, there's a kind of a psychology to it, right? So, um, the first one is only serious writers show up regularly. Mm. As I state here, I think it's an undervalued talent. I think serious writers show up every day or show up to get the work done, regardless of how they're feeling or how, how motivated they're feeling. And, uh, I don't know. You want to talk about that? You yeah. Show, you show up every day. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, serious writers. It, it, if if it's if every day doesn't work for you, if it is a secondary thing, um, then showing up when you schedule yourself to show up is the deal. Yeah. And I I think 100%. I mean, you know, you know, it's undervalued, but it's actually the most important thing. Being there sure. at the desk, doing the work is the most important thing. I mean, there are talented writers that can't seem to get words out, and and so they're talented people yeah. that may talent, that talent may really underperforming talent doesn't really mean anything in the sh- in the scheme of you know are you getting words onto the page because you it's know, all about it's all about work ethic yeah and every every great piece of writing starts with some really shitty drafts yeah i interviewed uh beck evans which is uh, uh the co-founder of this great digital writing coach prolifico um but she's worked with with hundreds of writers over the years and she really knows kind of the neuroscience of habit and the, and she noted uh this uh researcher dr robert boyce had talked quite a bit about and she talks quite a bit about the big impact of small habit changes where he had studied uh, just writing productivity as a whole and always compared uh, daily regular schedules, people who write every day, people who binge write. Now, binge writing is something that a lot of us are guilty of. You find yourself mm-hmm. procrastinating or you know, you're know you on a tight mm-hmm. deadline and you have to just get it all out in a day or whatever, you know, whatever it is. Binge writing, again, if you go back to research on it, it was always considered really, really bad. And often you compared, um, there's um, a researcher who who was working in the 80s, 90s called Dr. Robert Boyce. And he he studied writing productivity. And he always compared um, daily regular schedules, people who just write every single day with people who binge write. And he found that on all measures of success, the daily habit wins. The only one that the um, the binge writer scored more highly on was, was depression because it was very <laughs> much seen as uh, people rushing to meet deadlines in a panic. Yeah. So a couple of things on that. One is what does showing up every day mean, right? So for me, it means meeting a, a word per day quota. 
So it's not just sitting at your desk and being there hoping that the mood strikes. It's actually executing a certain number of words per day. So that's going to be different for everybody. Um, when you first start, I think 1,000 or 1,500 words a day is a good goal. Uh, for sure. me, when sure. I'm in my groove, it's over 3,000 words a day. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so uh, no, it's just a matter of time and doing it. And so when you do that words per day, uh, what that allows you to do is uh, when the deadline comes up and it, it does require a binge writing, like, you know, you have to turn something out like that day or the next day, like, yeah. for instance, the outside piece, you know, once the research was done, I had to turn it out in a, in a day, then you're, you have the muscle built up for it. You know, you don't have to get right. ready because you're already ready. Um, so that's, I think, it's kind of both all in one. I think when you're binge writing, you're hoping the mood strikes and then you have a great time and a great experience. Often you'll go back and look at it and be like, wow, that felt so good. It was so good. You'll go back and look at it. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of jumping ahead because Andy Weir mentions this later in your piece, but sure. it's like, it's, it's like, it's very rare that that binge writing is any better or even as good as the kind of work a day stuff you've had to hack your way through many days. I'm hacking my way through barely getting, you know, barely eking out words and, and just staying, staying with it until, right. um, until you can finally get those words out. Right. No, but I think, I think you make a great point because even though we've skipped ahead, I think the theme here uh, that is pretty clear is that you don't need to feel motivated to get into that habit. And I think so many professional writers, so many really serious writers say the same thing, uh, as mm. you just mentioned that, um, and I'll just, I'll reference here the piece I had spoken with Oliver Berkman, who's a great uh, journalist for the guardian. He's a columnist. Um, he subscribes to, you know, sitting down every weekday morning to write, you know, I mean, so many of these authors talk about the output, um, versus the motivation. And he actually, Oliver Berkman had turned, turned me on to this book by Paul J. Sylvia titled How to Write a Lot, um, which is, it's really aimed more at like academic writing. But he, he talked about, the, the author talked about the fallacy of writer's block and the power of habit. And we've talked about this so many times. I'll reference back to, of course, our writer's block um, episode but mm. that I did with neuroscientist Michael Gribko. But anyway, Sylvia just said, you don't need special motivation to write a lot. I know you've experienced this before, Adam. You don't need to want to write. People rarely feel like doing unpleasant tasks that lack deadlines. So don't wait till you feel mm -hmm. like it. Productive writing comes from harnessing the power of habit and habits come from repetition. So that's that small attainable goals, uh, setting those up so you can knock them down regardless of whether you're feeling the muse or not. I know it sounds so simple and obvious, <laughs> but it's like the hardest thing to get through your thick head, you know? Yeah. But it's 100% right on. Yeah. I could, yeah. You know, it's, it's absolutely right on. It's a muscle. Yeah. And you don't you don't exercise and you don't create a muscle and make it bigger and stronger without exercising. It's a yeah. muscle. Yeah. And so that, that, that actually brings us to number two that, you know, there's the neuroscience of of setting up those, you know, uh, setting up setting that habit for yourself. So you're kind of training your brain to be ready to do it, uh, regardless of what is what it, what you're output is but showing up regularly is number one and then only serious writers uh the second one was get started no matter how inspired they're feeling so again that's that it's the same we're saying the same thing kind of mm -hmm. yeah you're showing up regardless of how you feel you're you're getting started no matter um whether you're feeling it or not you just mm -hmm. start and there is something there is a, a powerful kind of um neuroscience piece to that it's like you once you start something it doesn't matter 
how little you put into it, you are naturally compelled to want to finish it, right? You know, you know. Uh, well, I love that. I love that because um, even though I, I'm sounding like, oh, yeah, you got work ethic and, and 3,000 words a day and it sounds like, you know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have that problem myself. But you know what the hardest part is whenever I have a new project is actually the starting part. You yeah, know, I, I, pro I never procrastinate so much as when I'm done with the research and it's time to actually write. And then I find it's not like I jumped to 3000 words a day on day one. It's seldom like yeah. that. Usually a thousand right. words is really hard that first day. And but then once you get into it, you, you it's like a vibration. You tune up and you get it going. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, so that that's that's so interesting to link it to a neuroscience principle because I've definitely felt that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's the pattern of positive thinking and accomplishment which a lot of writers struggle with because we have these, you know, these lofty goals. You know, if you're working on a novel, which is just an enormous undertaking or, or a long piece of journalism, you know, uh, every, every piece starts with the same, the same kind of daunting, you know, the cursor is just there. It's blinking at you. There's no words there. Mm. Um, you've got all these lofty ambitions and now you have to execute. And really, all you got to do is get, you know, is spend 10 minutes a day, you know, learning that habit, just sitting there. It doesn't matter. Just just get a few words out and and it just will catch fire. But, you know, without that kind of that, that, that motivation or at least that repetition and habit of sitting down and just doing it. Yeah. Procrastination or worse, you know, that depression of kind of, am I going to be able to do this? Mm. Is it going to suck? You know? Mm. I don't know all the stuff that uh it's kind of like acceptance too that your first draft is going to suck a little bit yeah. <laughs> and that's okay exactly. that's all part of the process it's like a trusting of the process to me it all comes down to a trusting of the process what i've learned from you know so many years experience is that i now trust my process that yeah. my process if i stick to the process i am going to come out with something that's good Exactly. My processes are so important, I think, for all of that, the neuroscience piece and the, I don't know, just the, the kind of the personal, whatever it is, piece. Yeah. Well, well, you hear athletes talk about that all the time. I actually think when I was finishing my book, I was thinking about, uh, I think I was, it was, it was, the basketball season was in high gear. And I think I heard LeBron James say something like, you know, you just, all you do is, is, um, you put everything you have into it, you leave it all out on the floor and you live with the results. And that's how kind of ever since I heard that, that's how I approach all of this. Yeah. Because you can't control the results. That's right. Yeah. There's another great piece I'll link to here in the Atlantic I found just recently um, that I didn't link to in the original, but uh, how to write a book without losing your mind by Olga Kazan at, that I will link to. And some more advice on just ending procrastination, finishing your manuscript, just dissertation or other big project, which I found pretty cool, pretty interesting. Uh, she's saying a lot of the same things I'm saying here and, you know, just talking about, you know, how prolific writers do it, how they pump out those three, 4,000 words a day, like um, Adam and other, you know, highly prolific prolific authors but yeah she said uh, actually she quoted an author laura vandercam who, who writes about the art of getting things done and her great quote was when you write a lot you know that the first thing you write is not going to be perfect mm. you're, you're going to be writing all sorts of stuff that won't be in that final draft including writing insert this thing here in brackets i know you haven't done that i've done that <laughs> no, I do that all the time. Yeah. You yeah, don't know what yeah. to say and you're just like, yeah, no, I don't want to say, I just don't know how to say it. Insert yeah. insert X, Y, or Z here. Um you will make it better, but it's so much easier to turn something into something better than to turn nothing into something. So again, that 
added you can't edit a blank page just get yeah. started man just get 100%, 100%. started yeah. don't let a don't let a missing statistic stop you from getting your words in just throw in a tk which is a, a you know journalist term for something that you don't have the answer to yet but you know it's out there and you're going to get uh, throw hmm. in a tk or brackets like you said and just keep rolling What's a T? What does TK stand for? You know, I never knew. Well, I'm gonna look it up. I'm gonna look it, you up. look it up. I never found out what it stood for. Listeners, if you need to just pause this and go and just get started, do it. Do it right now. Just go. Go write a hundred words. Go That's spend it. ten TK. minutes. I always, TK. Kinda, I always thought it sounded like to me. It always was like to know or something like that. But huh. it's a TK. TK. Not every. Um, publishing house uses it even the book you know the book publishers don't use it they didn't even know what a tk was when i turned in my first draft of <laughs> like, what the but like you know journalists uh, to you know, to come to come but it's yeah with a k, but it's with sure a k. but it could be from latin or something yeah who knows it's a, that's the first thing that came up TK yeah. to come huh there you go uh there's a wikipedia yeah it's all slotted in a tk i slotted one in earlier today before i got on the phone with you I mean, I think we're saying things that writers, serious writers know, or all writers maybe know inherently. It's just a good reminder that the power of simply starting is an incredible psychological tool, an incredible yeah. psychological tool. Approach motivated, goal setting, just doing little stuff rewards your brain, gives you a little hit of dopamine, just checking one thing off your list, off your multi, multiple page to-do list, rewards your brain, gives you a sense of accomplishment. Um, I love it. Yeah, yeah. And third one here, we're get we're uh, we're moving pretty quick. Only serious Think on paper. This is one of my favorite, and I think uh, we could talk probably talk about this forever. But yeah, only serious writers. Number three, think on paper. Uh, what's your hot take on that? If without any, without thinking about it. Well, I mean, I think I think I think that's just the writing process, right? Yeah. So we've all had those experiences where um, even if you're really well outlined and you really know what you want to say, as you're writing it, other ideas kind of find their way in. And I think that all of writing is thinking on paper. Yeah. Um, you know, all of it. I mean, you know, it, once you're once you have it kind of in cast in some sort of form, um, even then, even when you're rewriting, like E.B. White says in this po point, when you're quoting E.B. White. Yeah. Um, it's like even then you're still thinking about it. You're still it's all thought. I mean, it's all philosophy. It's all you know. Some of it's not just th philosophy. Some of it's analyzing facts. If you're doing, you know, reporting an investigative piece, um, you're even now even in fact check mode on this prison story. Last night I I spent an hour on the phone uh, with the research editor and we're talking about adding thing. You know, we're still thinking it out, figuring out the best way to 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 make to to get the reader interested and to, and to prove the case or the thesis that we're kind of, that I've kind of set out to prove in a way. Mm -hmm. And it's like, so we're still thinking it out. So every step, every, every step of the process is just an exercise is an exercise in thinking on paper. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so the quote I put in here was a Harry Camelman quote. And I mean, I wouldn't imagine people would know who Harry Camelman is. I think he was a mystery writer but uh his quote was don't think and then write it down think on paper um the famous what is it uh william zinser author of on writing well the classic guide to writing nonfiction. have you read zinser's uh on no. writing well no. um I'll, I'll link to it but anyway i think zinser said uh writing is thinking on paper 
He's also another uh, one that was famously quoted. And um, I think Zinsser and Kemmelman were uh, contemporaries in the 70s. 70s oh, really? 80s. Yeah, so I think they were, they were both quoted for saying probably a well-worn adage. Think on paper. Anyway, um, yeah, there's, there was something about, I think, of course, this great Kevin Kelly quote, um, you know, he was the, he talked about it. He was, he was the founder of Wired magazine. He's a fantastic journalist, photojournalist, travels the world. He's also a futurist kind of, uh, made famous in, uh, um, I think it's China for some of his predictions about the future. And, uh, he said, I don't feel like I'm a writer, a right to figure out what I'm thinking. For me, the killer thing is the first draft going back to first drafts, uh, being shitty because I don't have an idea and then try and write it. I write it to have an idea. And um, so that means like writing stuff that's not going to be used, but I'm just, I have to just kind of go through that process. I mean, nobody's going to see your first draft ever, mm. most likely. Mm. You know, you're not just going to, mm. you're not just going to shit out a gem, uh, a gemstone, unless you're a. Oh, keep that. I mean, that's some people don't, but you know, <laughs> that's, that's how I keep the lights on around here. <laughs> It's all grist for the mill was my point. Um, but yeah, writing those those crappy first drafts uh, is important. So I went back to uh, this this fun little book called Several Short Sentences About Writing, which is really a pretty serious book about brevity and and the importance of uh, simplifying or, or uh, clarifying your thinking as a writer. Uh, Verlin Klinkenberg, the author, talks about a serious writer's job, which is really kind of... Uh, I don't know. He talks about form and function or kind of, he, he asked the question, where do sentences, where do sentences come from? How do they reveal themselves in your thinking? Sometimes you know exactly what you want to say and you find the words to say exactly that. Say you're shooting off an email to a, an editor, but just as often what you, what you want to say emerges as the sentence takes shape, right? So thought and sentence are always a collaboration. I really like that quote. And it's, it's true, right? Because yeah. Because in the margins there, there's a subtext that emerges that maybe you didn't even see when you started the piece. Have you had that experience? Well, yeah. I mean, I always, you know, it's very, that's very reminiscent of a quote I say all the time because I've experienced it at Alex Haley quote that I read. I mean, I, I assume it's him. I read it. Someone else <laughs> attributed it to him. And it was, you don't always get the book you want. You get the book you get. <laughs> and, um, and I think that's what he's saying here. And, you know, my process is a, it's it's a really fun process of starting, having a hard time, like like building up the energy to start, then starting and then worrying for the first 80 percent of the first draft that what I have sucks and complaining to my wife about I'm not sure this is any good. I don't know what after and then, and then getting to the end of it and evaluating you're like, oh, this is pretty good, actually. And then getting it, making it better and better and better. So this to me is exactly that. Right. You're, you, yeah. you're never sure of what you have while you're slogging through a draft. Um, so don't be afraid of that. Don't let that derail you. Be willing to collaborate thought and sentences at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a messy it. process. It's a yeah. messy process. Yeah. Exactly. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I love that. Um, right. And yeah. And so I think kind of leading into um, the next couple that only serious writers do. And I think number four, um, which I didn't really expand on that much, uh, but it's something I think it's important to remember that that, that the tediousness of writing and, and number four is only serious writers get bored and understand it's part of the process. Um mm -hmm. There's something about the tedious nature of sitting there 
and having to wrestle with the blank page and your thoughts. And it's kind of maddening at times, is it not? I mean, there's nothing really sexy about being a writer. It's lonely. It's uncomfortable. You got to, you know, your chair is not always going to feel. It's smelly. Yeah. I mean, your your back is going to (laughs) hurt. It's smelly. It's, uh, well, yeah, sure. Oh, wait. Oh, it's not for everybody, I guess. Um, it's, it's, don't tell everybody how unglamorous it is. <laughs> it's very glamorous. Haven't you seen the average writer? Aren't they glamorous looking people? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny. It's funny that, that, um, yeah, the writing world is not like fitness people in, on Instagram. A writing world is, is usually pictures of like cats and typewriters and out the window because right. they're just bored. And they're like, oh, there's my teapot. And like junk food. And junk food that they uh, consume. Actually, excuse me, I'm sorry. I don't actually eat that much junk food. But um, <laughs> no way. But uh, but no, I mean, it's like, yeah, right. It's The, the, the photo of an author in a, on a book is not a sexy thing. It's like it's like a nerdy person looking, remember, looking depressed. Miller got, Arthur Miller may have married <laughs> Marilyn Monroe, but he also lost her. <laughs> there you go. Um but you know, author photos are are of like, just like nerds looking sad, <laughs> or trying to look sexy but failing. Yeah, it's uh, just their heads, anyway. Well, you know, we're wrestling with the uh, we're wrestling with the with our own neuroses because it is a it, it's it, I think it goes dials back to the last aspect, which is that it is a messy process. So, hmm. you know, one the guy I'm working with right now on one of the one of the ghostwriting projects says it best. He's like, when you're comfortable and everything's cool and you're like, you're having a nice glass of iced tea, uh, every dream you come up with sounds doable, you know? And I think when you're not writing and you're, you've just read an amazing book or you saw a crazy, an incredible movie and you're moved by the idea of a creative life and everything's cool. You think of this idea and you're like, Oh, this is going to be great. And it sounds super easy and doable. And then you start doing it and it doesn't feel that way. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, whether that's bored or uncomfortable or in my case, neurotic, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just part of the process. So I think what you're saying is whether it's boredom or whether it's, um, I mean, this is really well put. It could be boredom. It could be, um, fear, it could be whatever doubt. It's all part of the process and you just don't get derailed by it. You know, yeah. you learn not to though. You learn not to, right. it's a learned trait. It's a, it's a muscle, just like writing is a muscle. The endurance and the blocking out, uh, of doubt is also a muscle. Exactly. But it's also a brain, a brain training thing. Um, because, you know, I know we talk about the author as athlete. We've used that. Did I overuse muscle metaphor? <laughs> we use the, the mu- metaphor. metaphor a lot. Stop but, saying muscle, bro. But it, I mean, it only takes like twenty, you know, like sixteen or twenty muscles or something to, you know, to write on a, pe- you know, on a pe- with a pen and paper. Yeah, yeah. But I, I mean it as a mindset. Yeah, it's it's a mindset. Sure, more than right. Anything. And the like mindset piece is yeah. is the neuro neuroscience piece. Yeah, yeah, and and the yeah. neuroscience is far more complex than that. I mean, you're firing millions of neuronal, act, you know, activities, and, and that's a training piece. So I think that, that going back well, to- Well, that's the idea, right? Yeah. Like, isn't it something like every hour we think 3,000 thoughts or something crazy like that? Yeah. And yeah. it's like, you're not going to think the right thought every time. <laughs> There's going to be, like, no matter how disciplined you are in right. terms of mindset, that you're going to think some self-defeating doubtful thoughts. It's just the way it is. I mean, right. it, that's just life, you know, like that's the deal. So uh, if you can train yourself to block out the, those thoughts or if one, one slips through to self-correct, um, 
I think that's the key. And we do that. We already do those things. It's just a matter of doing them in context of writing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to point at a couple books that I didn't, I didn't mention in the piece um, that I found really interesting about boredom and creativity and the correlation, uh, kind of coming back to the boredom thing is yeah. that being bored is part of the process. I think that was that was my point there. Um, and that there is a correlation because being bored and giving your mind time to rest, you know, be it taking a walk or doing something mindless triggers that what we've called what we call the default mode network in your brain um, that works in the background while you're doing other things, right? We yeah. talked about this with, with neuroscientist Michael Gribko in the past. Um, but being bored is actually important and we don't do it enough. We keep ourselves constantly busy. I've talked about this with WNYC podcast host, Manoush Zomorodi, who wrote this great book, Bored and Brilliant, uh, who talks about unlocking your productive and you know, your productivity and your creativity by unplugging. I love it. Yeah, it's pretty important. I'll link to that one. Another great. I love it. It's it's if you don't allow your brain space, nothing. There's nothing. It can't occupy any space. That's right. It, yeah. And in our, I love it. And yeah. I, I've been. I, I I want. I'm trying to commit to actually taking a full day where I just shut down my phone. I don't bring yep. it with me. I love not bringing yep. it with me when it's like a quick trip out to market. It's like, but I'm such a slave to it. I'm as, I'm as guilty as anybody. Yeah. So yeah. Well, we, we are, we are victims of the cult of busyness. It makes us feel good for some reason to always be busy because we feel like maybe we're being more productive when we're always doing something or always keeping ourselves occupied. Um, Ava Hoffman wrote a book called how to be bored talks about it, almost exactly the same thing where she, you know, talks about this overstimulated age and how important it is to have you know to self-knowledge at least to being able to kind of uh look inward and and you know have some at least some uh i don't know creative revelations it's important to well, be, i think it's, it's so cool that you're you spend so much time diving into these things because it's really helpful and to be able to talk with so many gifted writers and not just gifted but people who've managed to kind of put put some ideas out there and publish and, and in, in some diverse formats. I mean, it's just like, I love it when you put these compilations together because it just shows, um, it shows the growth of your show, but it also shows kind of like the world, uh, all these, you know, nothing's a secret. We've all, we're all kind of slogging through them. And, you know, yeah. when you talked about the writer life as being lonely, it's also isolating. Yeah. So to, you know, for your listeners to be able to, to see this and benefit, I mean, it's what a cool thing. I mean, what a great resource you've created here. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate the, the feedback. I always look, uh, look forward to hearing from listeners and of course my peers as well. Uh, Adam, um, yeah, so I don't know. Yes. You you had mentioned hey, that. I'm a listener, man. I'm a listener. Thanks, dude. You you'd mentioned mentioned this great Andy Weir quote before, but he talks about exactly the same thing. It's the same theme running through this whole whole piece that Andy Weir couldn't remember who he was quoting, but he was quoting apparently Stephen King from On Writing. Mm. Another great one. So a great writer, and I can't remember his or her name. I uh, I I just completely blanked on who it was, but they said. Sometimes you're writing and you're extremely motivated. You're just like cranking out words, you're doing well. And other times it's just like a slog. It's like every word on the page is like this huge amount of work for you. And you feel like crap. You feel like you're just, you know, just hammering away and it's just constant effort and it doesn't feel good at all. Yeah. One thing you'll notice is if you wait a week 
and then look back on the stuff you wrote, you can't tell the difference between when you were motivated and when you weren't. Hmm. So it's really important to remember, and this helps me a lot, it's really important to remember that the quality of your work isn't greatly affected by the amount of enthusiasm you had at the moment you wrote it. I mean, that just sums it up, right? What, yeah, all these, What all these authors are essentially saying is like, you know, once you have that habit uh, built, doesn't matter how you feel. You don't have to feel super, super psyched to be sitting there if you want to be productive and uh, prolific. Yeah, I mean, we've said it. We said it before. I, I think I've jumped ahead to this quote. We've said it before. It's, it's. Um, I always am suspicious of people who have to have, you know, the lights and the music. And you know, I, I learned just by having to do it. You know, for, for here's a, a good example for me is, you know, before I started working on Lonely Planet books, I was just kind of working on on um for whatever jobs i could find so i was piecing together things through a lot of lifestyle journalism and 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 i didn't always have work and so then in those moments i would be working on some you know whether it's a screenplay with you or or um or a manuscript idea for a book i just didn't have the discipline yet so even though i had space to to create those things i didn't find myself to be super disciplined if i wrote 500 750 words then i'd figure i i wrote that day um, you know, I, I kick myself how much time I wasted. Uh, but what it took was actually being under the gun on a Lonely Planet manuscript and having to churn out, what, 50,000 words in, no. th in 30 days or <laughs> less. Uh, and where, where Ian Stewart, a great, you know, longtime Lonely Planet and guidebook author for Lonely Planet and Rough Guy. Guides told me, do mate, you just got to do three thousand words a day. And when he told me that, I was petrified. I'd never <laughs> done anything like that. Um, and um, but that I found I could tune into that. Once I did it, it, it changed everything for me. So that's you know, cool. I was kind of under the gun and had to do it, and that's how I developed that. Um, but you know, with me, it's there's a portion of my life that's research, then I get into the writing, and when I start again, I'm always right back to where I was. You know, first it's 500, 750 words. The next day it's 1,500, 2,000 words. Then I pretty much kick, kick it into gear. But it takes a little bit of ramp up time and then I'm there. Um, yeah. So uh, every time it's a new discovery, but uh, I mean, I, we've talked this to death, but. Yeah, I mean, I've been, but I think we're just covering the same takeaways here, which are, you know, they're so simple. It, it, it's weirdly psychological that we don't, it's like, you know, you kind of forget these things. Um, yeah. which brings us to number five. And I think you just mentioned it and I, and I think I probably stole this quote from you, but deadlines are the pressure that make a diamond. And number five, only serious writers meet their deadlines, no matter the hardship or duress. That's exactly what you're talking about when you're on a, on a crazy deadline for a lonely planet guide, which is unbelievable to me that that kind of, uh, uh defined you as a writer or it helped, uh, mm. mold you. Mm. Turned you into a diamond. Turned you into well. Diamond. <laughs> so I, I'd sell myself if that was true. I'd go to the pawn shop right now and sell myself to I, myself. I think the point the point was um, that without some kind of deadline, uh, either self imposed or professionally mandated, is what what you were talking about. Both things. Most writers are preternaturally lazy well i think most humans are preternaturally lazy it's the way we work you know it's the way our minds work so yes and 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 without the deadline you do you do tend to kick it down you know kick the can down the line once you're kind of locked into this life and you become like me where you have no other marketable skills uh even if you don't have a deadline <laughs> you you keep you grind hard because you know the yeah. payday's at the end so you, you know even if your editors don't give you a deadline and allow you to do it on your time you do 
the deadline is you need you need to get paid so um so yeah so it's always driving me a deadline or 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 the you know you know my my (laughs) bank balance is driving me yeah yeah um but that's okay you know that's just that's every it does everybody that's why people show up to work every day so that's life sure sure i spoke with uh uh, best-selling author and journalist Scott Carney recently on the show early this year. And, you know, that's his whole mission is like to help journalists, like he, as he puts it, make a middle-class living, which is something mm. that uh, seems to be a lost art. But yeah, I think just to wrap up here, I always come back to uh, Dan Pink's workmanlike process when I'm working on a book or it's sort of at the stage where I've done enough research where I feel like I've more or less mastered a lot of the material and can move on to executing it, uh, I, I actually will be pretty, I look at it like, I, I think of it as brickling, where I'll, you know, come to my office, show up in my office at a certain time, you know, you, you know like let's say nine o'clock, and then I will set myself a, a word count for the day, mm. let's say 500 words, and then I will and turn off my phone, turn off my email, and then I will do nothing truly nothing until I hit my word count. And if I hit my word count at 11 in the morning, hallelujah. If it's two o'clock in the afternoon, I still haven't hit my word count. I ain't going anywhere. You know, and, and, you know, don't, don't feel intimidated by Adam's 3000 words a day. You know, he's a, he's a pro. He's pretty serious, but Dan Pink has written uh, so many best-selling books and he, you know, he sets himself small, manageable goals and again yeah. just 10 minutes a day to start that habit will get you into that mindset and yeah. then trust me you're you, you set you set yourself maybe a 20 minute writing period and, and oftentimes you don't want to stop writing you're not going to stop at 20 minutes you're just going to keep going because you get into a flow or you get into a you know hit a vein of whatever uh and you keep going yeah and um definitely don't be intimidated by my dumb thing i'm not trying to even be macho about it <laughs> dan pink is far more successful i i would follow dan pink's advice <laughs> yeah He's i mean we're, we're all gonna successful. do it differently that, but, and it brings but, us yeah. back to number one which is yeah. all serious writers just show up and just showing up is half the battle yeah and i love what he says here because um and like i said like you know when he, he might be doing 500 words every day of the year. Whereas, like I said, I, 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 my, my work life is more like Malcolm Gladwell. I heard him talk about this on a, on a podcast. He has his research period, then his writing period. That's more my style. Yeah. So I have a research period where I'm oftentimes not writing. Yeah. So if you put it all together, it's not 3000 words every day of, uh, you know, five days a week. No, that's definitely not it. It's not what I'm doing. So, um, I don't want to overstate it, but, uh, when I'm in the writing mode, that's what I try to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of wrapped up um, in this piece with, you know, that I think all serious writers just have that ability to focus on what's important, tune out what's not, regardless of how you do it. Most do turn off the internet uh, for the record. A lot of a lot of very serious writers find a way to shut off the internet on their machines so they're not tempted to look at Facebook or Twitter or the news. But uh, yeah, uh, my final point here was Great writers aren't born. They're forged from toil, rejection, and the occasional success. Occasional. Yeah, when you put it that way, it makes me really wonder what I've been doing all these years. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mean to 
Jeez. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's true. You, it's you, true though. Sometimes I, I sometimes I do consider my life choices and uh but we're not gonna we'll get into that in another podcast. <laughs> Adam's life choices. <laughs> Four life choices of Adam Skolnick. It'll <laughs> be a great episode. Um you have had quite a few successes. Don't look a gift horse or in I don't, the I, don't, I, don't. I, I I love this lifestyle. It's not easy. <laughs> it's um but it's there's a certain liberated quality to it. And I love it. And, and, um, and I, and I love it when I hear from other writers and I, I, you know, I totally, I do totally recommend it. Um, but it's, it's definitely, uh, can be a harsh lifestyle too. And I think you put it, this is perfect toil, rejection, and the occasional success. That's, that's it perfectly. I mean, that's, that's completely (laughs) it right there. Yeah. Not to, uh, but that's not bad though. Right. That's not bad because hard work and rejection make yeah. you strong of mind. Yeah. And then when you have the, you know, you know what, one of the worst, uh, not the worst, but you know what the, what, this is a great way to end on it. But like what I thought was my greatest success in my career literally almost threatened me completely financially. Yeah. My book coming out in 2016, uh, it was received really well by critics. A lot of people really liked it, but it didn't sell like I'd hoped. And I kind of took my eye off the ball promoting the book and I wasn't really working on anything else, wasn't lining up work. Right. And not too long after that, I was facing some f- severe financial crises and I was able to dig my way out of it, but I could have very easily not been able to dig my way out of it. And so, uh, you know, it's it's interesting what you know the the hard work and the toil the occasional success actually can be something that undermines you yeah. in an in, a, in an odd way whereas the rejection hardens you so I would say don't look at that sentence as 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 daunting uh, embrace that sentence because that is the life but that doesn't mean it's not a beautiful life love it I love it that's a great place to end uh, my parting shot was it's deliberate practice grit persistence commitment to growth. And an inner drive that sets apart the serious writers. And I think you uh, put it very succinctly that, uh, yeah, you got to keep your eye on the ball and um, go forth. Go forth, writer. Hey, thank you. <laughs> I, I will go forth. <laughs> Can I go forth now? Thank, thank you. Yes, please, please. You're, you're excused. Hey, thanks for uh, tuning in to the Writer Files. Thank you for listening to my dad's story. I apologize for dropping that in there. Felt like it was necessary to explain where I've been. Uh, we do have more, more Writer Files on the way. Be patient with us uh, as we are still getting our footing. And um, yeah, we look forward to uh, hearing from you in the comments. You can find us over on writerfiles.fm at the top of the feed there. Um, drop us a rating or review over at uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you tune in to the pods. Uh, be happy to hear from you and we appreciate the feedback. And uh, we'll be back uh, soon. Any uh, final thoughts? <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, thank you for having me, sir. And, uh, thank you for what you're doing for all of us. And, uh, you know, it's such an honor to know you and be your great friend. And, uh, we love you and keep rocking. I will keep rocking in the free world as long as it stays free for now. It seems to be free here, at least, uh, in America. (laughs) (laughs) But hopefully this is all a mirage. This is all I a hope, Hopefully this is all not really happening. <laughs> but if Red Dawn does happen, I'm going to go to Colorado and save you from the penitentiary. I am on my way to Toronto as we speak. <laughs>
I'm nowhere. I'm nowhere. I'm recording this on the train. Putin, Putin, you will never find me, Putin. (laughs) Oh, that's out there now. He's going to find you. You just, it's like you threw down the gauntlet and dared him to find (laughs) you. I dare you to find me, Putin. I am in um, (laughs) right around the corner from you. (laughs) Look outside your window. I think we're going to hit stop now. Okay. (laughs) I don't think that's coming in. I don't think that's going to make it. And scene. (laughs) Oh, my God.